Hello, and welcome. You are listening to Moodily Matters, the podcast that recognizes that your mood matters. Every episode, we talk to a range of amazing guests with experience in some of the top organizations in the world, discussing work life at the crossroads of mood, well-being, and performance. Together, we aim to create better workplaces, one mood at a time. Let's get started with your host, Moodily founder, Erica First. Hello and welcome. I am Erica First, the host of Moodily Matters. On today's episode, we're talking about trust. According to my guest today, Relavution founder Marissa Badgley, trust is not only a developable skill, but also at the core of most workplace issues. In this amazing interview, Marissa shares her eight core components of trust, how to build them, and what to do when trust breaks down. Now on to the episode. Thank you, Marissa, for being here with me today. It is an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Um, why don't you give us all a little bit of an introduction as to who you are? Yeah. So my name is Marissa Badgley, and I am the founder of Relevution. So that's love in the center of the revolution. And we are working to disrupt harmful cycles in workplaces and leadership to create organizations where human beings can truly thrive as their most authentic and amazing selves. Uh, my background is in nonprofit capacity building originally and uh, spent a lot of time working in nonprofits, being a leader within nonprofits, and being a victim to some of the harmful culture things that happen within nonprofit organizations. And when I left my job several years ago, I realized that many of those uh, those elements were not specific to nonprofit ecosystems and that uh, there's uh, widespread lack of trust, lack of in a, lack of effective and prepared leaders. Um, harmful cultures just across the board. And I am on a mission to uh, prevent what happened to me from happening to other people. And I, I'm happy to tell you more about that. But uh, that's the that's the Cliff Notes version of who I am and what I do. Okay, so it's actually really interesting um, that you mentioned that because I know my image and, you know, this may be from ignorance of not having had to deal with it, is that when you talk about nonprofits, they're sort of organizations of people who want to do good coming together. And so you would think that they would be less uh, toxic because my whole career has been in for-profit organizations. And I can assure you that it's a, everyone is like an experiment in sociology. So it's, <laughs> it's, interesting. Yeah. it's yeah, interesting so to hear that you have that there too. Yeah. So I, it's definitely cross sector, um, cross industry, cross workplace. All workplaces are studies in psychology and um, human behavior, and humans are messy wherever we are. My experience within the nonprofit sector, and I, I know this experience is shared by a lot of my nonprofit peers, is that I loved my job. I felt like I was doing work that I was meant to do. I was making a difference in the world. I enjoyed every second of it. And the trade-off to that was that I was working 50 to 70 hours a week. And because I cared so much about this mission and making the world a better place. And 
our environment was not set up in a way that allowed for setting boundaries within that. Um, there's a lot of martyrdom culture within nonprofits where it's like, if you cared about our mission, you'd be willing to do whatever it takes to be able to, oh. to do the work. And I find that, so now I work with about 50% of my clients are not in nonprofits and then every, all the other industries fall in the other 50%. And I talk a lot in my work around work culture, around the need to balance compassion and accountability. And what I find is that within corporate spaces, there's a lot of accountability and very limited amount of compassion that's comfortable. And in nonprofit spaces, there's an abundant amount of compassion and very little accountability or struggles with accountability. And that can look a lot of different ways. And I'm absolutely generalizing. Um, but we need to find balance in both spaces and in all spaces. And uh, they're definitely different cultures and different dynamics, but the human dynamics are equally messy wherever we are. Right. Well, I guess that's good to know that, you know, good, good to, to know, know, terrible to know. Ter I don't know. Exactly. Good to know, bad to know. Certainly opportunity for improvement across the board. Absolutely. Um, and so you kind of uh, tapped into this, but can you uh, go into depth a little bit on the personal and professional mission that you're carrying out now? Yeah. So I mentioned that I am on a mission to prevent what happened to me from happening to other people. And so I can extrapolate a little bit more on that. So in my environment, again, I loved my job. I was passionate about what I was doing, really enjoyed working with my colleagues, had a good boss. And, um, and yet I was in this system that was harming me in a lot of different ways. And part of that had to do with systems in place and, or lack of systems in place. Part of it had to do with bias and discrimination, not only towards me, but towards others. Uh, part of it had to do with the, the sheer number of hours we were working within communities and with people who were experiencing high levels of trauma, which added a component of vicarious trauma to my experience in workplaces. And part of it was the fact that I thought that there was something wrong with me. So on top of this really high stress, high impact job, I was working with a coach. I was working with a therapist. I was doing all of the self-care stuff to try to fix myself. And none of that worked because the, the system itself wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I realized at some point that I could put in all of the work in the world and that system and that culture wasn't going to shift to be able to truly support me. And uh, I talk about my experience with burnout quite regularly. My personal experience with burnout landed me in the hospital three times in less than a year. I know that is not an uncommon story, uh, but the physiological response to chronic stress and burnout was real for me. I was convinced I was dying of a heart attack multiple times. The doctor said, you're just really stressed out. And Ultimately, I determined that the best thing for me was to leave my role without a plan at that point. Mm. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I was too burnt out and exhausted to know even who I was in that moment. And so I left without a plan. I continued working with my therapist. I continued working with my coach, really focused on healing myself, doing things that I love, rediscovering who I wanted to be in the world. 
and realized that the mission was to do this prevention work and to help organizations not only tell their people to take better care of themselves, which is very prevalent, like here, here's coaching, here massage vouchers, here, like all of the things that we do for towards that self-care and really thinking about how to create workplaces that are truly sustainable for people in terms of their culture, in terms of their systems, in terms of their policy, in terms of their leadership, in terms of their management. Um, and I really believe strongly in taking a holistic approach to professional wellness in workplaces because so often, like we had consultants come in to focus on one of those areas. We're going to talk about management, but if you're not also talking about culture, it doesn't work. Um, we have we had consultants come in and say, we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but without looking at systems, we weren't like that wasn't we weren't going to see long-term change. And so I really pay a lot of attention to like one of the, the pieces of this mission for me is antibiotics, not band-aids or painkillers. Um, how do we like wipe out the diseases and um, how do we do that on a really holistic level? And um, I'm really enjoying it. I, and I'm doing it on my own terms, which is even more magical. <laughs> Amazing. Well, congratulations on that. It sounds uh, there's a lot of parallels between our experience. Um, and um, so it's nice to see a fellow person trying to fight the good fight. And the skill you're going to be sharing with us is the concept of trust within the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can tell you lots about it. And <laughs> it's not it's not all going to fit into this period um, of time. Um, so trust is something that I find absolutely fascinating. And I've done a lot of research related to trust over the last several years. Um, I use a lot of other people's research. I've created a bunch of my own. We actually have a trust diagnostic tool that we use with organizations to help identify where trust is breaking down, not only with individuals, but also on that organizational level that I was talking about. So I'll tell you all about all of those things. Um, but I think that it's important to start with the fact that about just talking a little bit about what trust is. Um, and for me and in my practice, trust is the foundation. It's the, the aorta of the heart of organizations. It what It's what um, allows us to feel psychologically safe. It is the basis of strong human relationships. And we know that those things are important in all elements or all places in our lives, not just in workplaces, although my focus is on workplaces. Um, trust is internal. It's emotional. It's cognitive. It's also effective. Um, and it's really challenging because it's one of those things that is instant and subconscious, and that can be really dangerous, and it can also be really uncomfortable. So when we feel trust, we feel a sense of confidence, whether that's confidence in a person, in a group, in an organization, um, and that's great. And our brains are wired to tell us whether we trust somebody within the first like 10 seconds that we, we meet them. And that's how a lot of bias can creep in there. Um, we're more likely initially to trust people who are like us, right. who are a part of the same groups or are where or from where we're from. And, or, and 
so when we interact with a person, we're having we have these preconceived notions that tell us a little about trust. But the real work begins in recognizing whether we trust somebody from the get go, and then course correcting in real time, which is is really challenging. Um, I there's a lot of stuff out there, and right, like parents say it to their kids. You have to earn my trust. Bosses say it too, and. Trust does need to be earned. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more, or I hope to be able to tell you a little bit more about the components of trust and how we earn trust. Um, it does need to be earned, but it needs to be two-sided. It needs to be bi-directional, right? It doesn't, a relationship with a boss in their direct report or two colleagues isn't going to work if trust only goes in one direction. And we often are only paying attention to our part or the other person's part. And I really believe that this is a collaborative experience of building trust. And in organizations, that trust building needs to happen with individuals. Individuals need to be trustworthy and be trustworthy, trusted. It needs to happen with teams. And it needs to happen with organizations. The systems and policies and procedures of organizations can be trustworthy or untrustworthy. And that's something that just is very often ignored in the research. So I think those are sort of my initial thoughts about how trust shows up. And um, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to share more. Yeah. So I think let's start maybe with the components of trust, because I think I'd like to see what's universal, because I think that there can also be, as you mentioned, there's differences between different groups. It's like what I need to feel trust may be different than what another person needs to feel trust or like I consider you showing up on time, something that helps me build trust, whereas another person that's not important. So are there universal factors that, that go across groups of social factors, et cetera? I think so. Um, <laughs> there, there, some people say that Trust is an emotion um, rather than a skill. I believe very strongly that it is a skill. I also believe that while there are subjective components to trust and trustworthiness, the, the objective is really important to me. And it actually came out of a conversation about five years ago, I was talking to somebody and they're like, well, trust is subjective. Like I don't pay attention to trust. And that really irked me because it was like, oh, well, we know that trust is such an essential ingredient to leadership, to success, to performance. And um, there have to be objective components. So I found this really cool school of research um, called the Trust Quotient that is fairly popular. Um, people, people know what that is. Many people know what that is. And it's brilliant research. And so they talk about these four characteristics that every trustworthy person has. For me, it didn't go far enough. And so over the last several years, I've been building out what I consider to be the eight objective components of trust. Um, the first four that I will share are from that original trustworthy, trust quotient trust research um, and then I'll let you know the ones that I, I have added on and coach people on in, in my work. So again, there are eight 
there are eight variables here. Eight is a lot to pay attention to. And the first thing I tell people is that we should only pay attention to one or two at a time. <laughs> um, our brains can't handle eight things at once. And so as I'm going through this list, if our listeners want to think about, oh yeah, that's something I struggle with, or yeah, that's why I don't trust my boss, really only try to think about one, one or two things at a time. So the first variable here is reliability. So reliability means that we do what we say we're going to do when and how we say we are going to do it. Um, it also means that people count on us and can count on us to be consistent. They have confidence in our ability to show up. Um, I'm going to phrase all of these in terms of individuals, but they're all equally applicable to organizations. Organizations also have to be reliable. Organizational systems need to be reliable. Um, the second variable is credibility. So having the skills and knowledge we need to do our work well um, and actually know what we're talking about. So in organizations, so often there are managers and people who are promoted who have no idea how to manage, who have no idea what they're doing. And I've questioned many times, how did this person get in their role? <laughs> and so when people are promoted into roles and they're not credible in their roles, that is a depreciator of trust almost every time. Which, um, the, if I can yeah, just yeah, yeah. put like a little parenthesis in there, because sure. I've had this experience too, also as a manager and as an employee, um, I had never once in my entire life received management training in any of the jobs I was in. I had to go and seek it out on my own, read books on my own. Um, and I think that this is one of the absolute biggest issues to tackle in every single organization because so much of productivity and well-being and what we do in the office depends on our manager, who more often than not has had absolutely no training in learning how to do that, which is a skill. So I yeah. will be quiet now uh, yeah. and let you get on to number three. No, no, no. So I'm going to keep the parentheses open for just a second. Um, so Relevision has five signature programs and offerings, and one of them is a management accelerator program for exactly the reason that you just described. Um People don't know how to do it, which means that when they are uncredible, it's not their fault. Right. And that's really hard to solve for in organizations um, right. because, I mean, it's easy for the organization to say, we're going to put everyone through management training, which you should do. If you're not doing that, please do it. Um, but for the person who might be being perceived as untrustworthy as a result of their credibility, it might not be on them. And that, like, that sucks. Right. <laughs> Okay. So, sorry, number three. Right. Number three um, is, so the original research refers to intimacy, which I have a lot of discomfort using that word in terms of workplaces. So I define it as relationships. Um, and for me, relationships is all about knowing people for who they are and not just for what they do. Um, and allowing people to know you beyond just your role, right? One of the things that happens, it's like, you should just trust me because of my role, or you should just respect me because of my title. And that, like, that doesn't work. Right. Relationships are really, really important. Um, and then the fourth piece, and they, they lay claim to this being the most important piece, it's the denominator in there in the trust quotient, is lack of ego and low self-orientation, which means that we act in the interest of others rather than our own self-interest. Um, and full transparency, this is a place where I know that early in my career, I've 
I lacked some trust because, or it depreciated my trust a bit because I really wanted to grow in my career. It was super competitive. I wasn't going out and cutthroat and trying to destroy people's careers, but I was really looking out for myself and for the people that I was serving in the community um, and not looking out for my colleagues <laughs> so much. And that is something that depreciates culture, depreciates trust really, really quickly. So taking ego out of it is really important, showing that you care about the well-being and the wellness and the success of others above yourself is huge, especially as a manager or as a leader. Um, I'm just going to really quickly mention these other ones. They're fairly self-explanatory. Um, the fifth invariable ingredient is integrity. So doing the right thing every time, even when there's pressure to do something else. Um, for me, integrity also has something to do with being honest and standing up for other people um, when, when it, the situation warrants it. Uh, there's also a need, I talked about compassion before. Compassion is huge. Being able to be motivated to relieve the suffering of others, to be radically empathetic, to understand other people um, and just practice compassion. Um, if we're not compassionate, I don't think we can be fully trustworthy. Authenticity is a really big piece. So showing up as we truly are, not pretending to be other people and allowing other people to do the same. And and the eighth piece is fairness. So treating everybody equitably and fairly, making sure that we are recognizing and disrupting our own biases. And, um, and there's an element about fairness that is more specific to organizations that's really important that people have the same or similar outcomes when they do the same or similar things. <laughs> so um, people are promoted if they act in a certain way, which we know is not often equitable in organizations. It's not always fair. So that that fairness piece is important. And so all of these pieces, these eight things, again, it's a lot of things to pay attention to. They are, um, when you build one, you become more trustworthy. When you focus on building one or two or three, there's always a net gain. Um, and if you can embody all eight of them, amazing. But if you can embody five or six of them, you're light years ahead of most people in workplaces. And it's about awareness and just recognizing this is a place where I might be able to be more trustworthy or build more trust for myself, for my team, for my organization. Um, so that's a lot of information. And I'm going to pause because I've um, just talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's funny because I was already like stuck at your first one, reliability, because that, to me, I mean, dealing with organizations or dealing with other people, it's like, it's so hard. You know, people miss calls, they miss meetings, they miss this. And, and, you know, part of it's not their fault. We're all still kind of suffering from post COVID trauma, mental trauma. So how can we build some of the skills to, to strengthen this trust profile? Yeah. So I, I want to just mention really quickly what you said before is really important that different people value different components of this at different levels. They're all really important cross-culturally, um, cross-generationally, and 
there may be some of them that are worth five points to one person and three points to another. It always adds, but it doesn't, um, but sometimes it adds more or less depending on who the person is and what their background is. And that makes it really hard. Um, so how do, how do we do this? Uh, so there, there are two components of this question. So how do we build as individuals, right? Or maybe there are three components. Um, how do we build trust as individuals who are working, living, leading, all of the things? How do we um, show people that we trust them? <laughs> so that's really important for managers and leaders. And then how do we build trust organizationally and culturally? And um, they're very similar, but they're also different. So I'll start with the first one. Um, and I'm not going to share all of it, but I'm happy to have follow-up conversations with anyone who wants to dig deeper. Um, so, I mean, the easiest thing in terms of building trust is to pay attention to the trust variables and actually know for real where trust is breaking down. So we can suspect that reliability is a struggle for us and people aren't trusting us because of that. But unless we actually have the conversation, we don't know. So the first step is to be regularly assessing trustworthiness on your team or with your partner um, and see where it's breaking down, not only from your point of view, but also from other people's point of view. Um, and again, just focus on one or two at a time. <laughs> We're not going to be 100% trustworthy um, at all times. And that's part of being human. Um, one of the things that has been really powerful for me in my experience in building trust is showing vulnerability and being really open and honest about mistakes and failures and when I fall short of being perfect, um, which when we rise into management and leadership roles can feel really uncomfortable because for some reason we've been programmed to think that managers and leaders shouldn't make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is incredibly, uh, talking about wellness, that's incredibly emotionally taxing to feel like you have to be on and perfect and good all of the time. So um, being vulnerable and also goes not really believable. Line. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it goes to the authenticity piece, right? Um, where we need to actually be honest about who we are and show up as that imperfect, perfectly flawed person. Um, being an ally and an advocate is really powerful when we are in workplaces and in general. So not again, that goes to the self-orientation piece of Things not only being about us, but standing up for people for whom cultures or systems or leaders, like they may not be getting served in the same ways. And that, um, and standing up as an ally, being a voice and listening and advocating for people um, goes a really long way. And I think that the, the last thing that I'll mention just about this trustworthy, building trustworthiness as an individual is that we can't be defensive. <laughs> so it hurts. It is so uncomfortable when somebody says, I don't trust you, or I don't trust this decision that you made. Um, because trust is this thing, like, of course I'm trustworthy. Uh, what do you mean you don't trust me? And this is as true in our romantic relationships as it is in our professional relationships. Um, we, we really need to be able to take a step back and listen 
and hear where that's coming from and be willing to adjust our practice and bend to support the boundaries and preferences and needs of others when they are not our own. And this, again, is really hard and it can be really uncomfortable, but it's also one of the biggest things we can do to be trustworthy in the eyes of our people or our partners. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, the the fact of being, you know, I love the idea of being vulnerable, like going back to the point of admitting uh, that you've been able to make a mistake. And I think I've seen that in my own experience that it goes, it, it creates an enormous amount of trust in a very short amount of time um, mm-hmm. because it breaks down those facades and everything else. And also being willing to hear where maybe you're falling short, because I think none of us, as you said, none of us wants to think like, oh, I'm not, I'm totally not a trustworthy person. I like, I would never trust me, you know? Right. <laughs> But we may be doing things that cause that reaction. Absolutely. And I'm not going to pretend to be an an expert or perfect at any of this. Like I'm very much still learning and growing. And one of the things that I know has been really hard for me are the pieces of trustworthiness that are really outside of my control. So one of the things I've learned is that trust is really about seed planting. So, and it takes a long time for that like for us to fully trust each other. We plant the seed, we nurture the seed, but sometimes people, sometimes we're planting seeds in soil with poison in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or this person has had really adverse previous experiences that make them less likely to trust. So it's we have to try harder. We need to compensate more um, or really dialogue to your point about what is truly going on. Um, Mm -hmm. How do we know that there's trust breakdowns in the organization? Uh, So people start turning off. (laughs) Um, People are less engaged. Um, They, research shows that when we don't have trust or when trust is breaking down, Um, People are less productive, their performance suffers, revenue goes down, engagement goes down, creativity and innovation goes down. Um, And then perhaps most important to the bottom line is that retention suffers. People leave when, when they don't trust someone or something. And if they don't leave, often they become sort of a cancer in that workplace of like, because if they're not able to move on from whatever was causing that lack of trust, um, when trust is breaking down, people don't feel psychologically safe, which in my opinion is a form of trauma. So which triggers our bodies into trauma response. So you see more fight, flight, freeze when people are untrusting because they are, um, they're experiencing trauma. Their brains are telling them that they are at risk. Trust is one of those things that's really primitive and evolutionary. And like, we are designed to trust somebody intuitively on purpose to know whether or not we are safe in this moment or need to run away. And um, so when those things start showing up, it often points to a trust thing. Um, And what I'll say is that, so we work around work culture, employee engagement, leadership, and management development. So people come to me with those problems all the time. 
I would say that more than half of the time, the problem they're actually experiencing is a trust problem. Mm. Um, And that's the foundational, when you peel back the layers of whatever a person thinks their organizational problem is, trust is very frequently the thing that it comes down to. And it's also the hardest one to solve in the long term. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't happen quickly. So that that can be really challenging. Okay. So let, let me just wrap up here, make sure that I've gotten all your points. We have these eight elements that compose our eight components of trust, reliability, credibility, intimacy, or relationships. I'm with you on the use of intimacy mm-hmm. in the workplace. <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> Lack of ego, integrity, compassion, authenticity, and fairness. And all of these in one way, shape, or another sort of make up a holistic uh, trust uh, experience. And ways we can get better at doing these is, first of all, just to pay attention to the fact that they exist. Like, look at the different ones and think about how am I have a self-reflection, but also maybe ask someone close to you or ask someone that you work with that you do trust. Um, how am I on these different things? Also something interesting, ask the people in your team, how important, I think that's interesting to have like a trust profile for each person, like which of these eight things is more important to you. So you know how to build trust with each person in your team or also as from employer to, um, boss, to be able to show vulnerability and be honest about where your shortcomings are, especially when they happen. I think this was one thing I wanted to to mention is that if you make a mistake and do something that contributes to your untrustworthiness, but you automatically call it out and say, yes, I did this. Here's the reason why I understand that this could damage the relationship that we have based on trust but this is why I did it, that it could, you could actually turn that into a trust building moment through being honest, um, not to be defensive and to understand that this is a process that takes time and it's about building, um, building things. So also like through awareness, through constant dialogue, I would say, but, you know, picking a few of those and and sort of sticking to them. Have I, done a good job of summing up with what, I mean, it's a huge topic. I'm sure we could talk for six hours, but. Absolutely. Um, so there are a couple of things that I, I want to add on an organizational level, if that, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, so all of the things you just summarized are exactly right. Um, and they're hard. And when we're thinking about organizations and teams, um, trust can get a little bit wonky and it feels a little out there. So I just want to like bring it down to a couple of things that organizations can do to build their organizational trustworthiness. And the first is, and this is what we start with in all of my interventions, is building a universal culture that has clear expectations and where people are held accountable. Um, so again, compassion, being compassionate does not mean that people aren't held accountable. And People need to know what they're going to be held accountable to in order to trust the organization itself. And so we need to we need to do that really intentionally. Uh, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody that I'm doing some coaching with, um, with somebody, and she was sharing about how internally their employee resource group, their ERG, was reading this book um, about bias and gender and so on and so forth. And in the same quarter where they're reading this book, 
that all of this information about gender pay gaps came out about the company. And so one of the things we need to do organizationally is to make sure we're not being hypocritical and actually doing what we say we're going to do that goes into that reliability and credibility piece. But our internal messages and our external messages have to match. And um, yeah, so that that just feels really, really important. No trust Um, washing. Right. Yeah. It's no, I like that term. (laughs) No trust washing. Um, And then one of the other organizational things. So people often come to me, leaders often come to me and think that the answer to their trust problems is transparency. And transparency is a way that we can build trust. But sometimes organizations become too transparent. And oftentimes employees think that what they want is transparency, but really they need to trust the person making the decision on the other side of that wall. Right. And so that just feels important to name that if we peel back the layers on transparency, it's often actually a trust problem. And oversharing, ironically, is something that depreciates trust. So it's like, why are you telling me all of these things? Why aren't you just doing your job? Because you asked me to tell you these things, but not really. That's not really what I meant. So that's that's a place where this really breaks down really quickly. That's interesting. And I was getting sort of the image of like parents asking their young children, like, what do you think we should do with our money in the stock market? You know, it's like, (laughs) figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'll end on this, that... I've already mentioned this trust building stuff is hard. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't always feel great when we realize that our team or our organization or ourself is not trustworthy. Um, if trust has broken down, healing is required. It's not just about building trust in the future. It's about healing from the lack of trust in the past as well. This means we have to acknowledge feelings. It means we have to create space for people to talk and dialogue and get it all out there. Um, It means we have to tell people when we messed up and take ownership of that and take responsibility and commit to doing better and then actually do better. Right. Um, Because repeated breaches of trust, there's no way to come back from that. Right. Um, Particularly if you've been told over and over again that this is the thing that is causing XYZ cultural problem. So um yeah, I so said that that's what I have to say about trust, Erica. <laughs> Amazing. So um can you tell the listeners where they can find you to get more information about your organization? Absolutely. So we are at www.truerevolution.com. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to chat with anybody about their journeys and you can follow along to read our articles and blogs. And um, I feel really deeply committed to this work. And so if there is, if I have planted a seed within you that you're thinking about at 3 a.m., reach out and let's chat uh, because the, what we do is quite different from normal consultants. I don't even know what a normal consultant is anymore, but um, I like to think that what we're offering the world, even in our trust diagnostic tool is really unique and different from what organizations are traditionally measuring. And I know Moodley does a lot of this stuff and um, a great compliment to the work that we're doing. So please, please reach out and know that you're not alone on the journey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was incredibly informative. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Erica. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Moodily Matters. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Moodily Matters.